This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with former Welsh rugby head coach Kevin Bowring. Now a nationally known coach developer, Kevin discusses the importance of a critical thinking partner, as well as principles in creating positive learning environments. This podcast was also recorded over the internet, so it may sound a little different to normal. I hope you enjoy. Good. So, um, Kevin, I guess first question, how are you and your family in these quite strange times, I guess? Uh, yeah, we're surviving. I think uh, I've done as much DIY gardening. I think I've exhausted the list that my wife uh, seems to produce an endless list, really, but I've tried to exhaust it. Um, got into a little bit of routine with uh, uh, some learning on various podcasts and webinars. Uh, catching up with some coaches remotely, which is which is terrific, and going for long walks uh, in between. And uh, uh, it's a bit too much like retirement. I think we're ready to get back and watch and work with coaches again. I am really. Yeah, I think everyone's a bit bored of it now. So fingers crossed, we can get some sort of uh, activity moving forward. Um, firstly, I appreciate you doing this. Um, obviously, Nathan was very complimentary. Who's obviously been on the podcast. Um, has been very complimentary in some of the work you've done with him. Just um, for those people who kind of don't know your background, etc., could you explain kind of what you do at the moment, how you've got to that point? Gosh, um, I, I'm, I suppose I, you'd say I'm a coach development consultant. No. Um, well, how did I get into, into it? Well, um, my sport was rugby and I played a bit. Um, didn't quite reach playing for my country. Um, one day I had dreams of playing for Wales, persevered. I played for a team called the Barbarians a few times, which was very, um, the pinnacle of my success, really. But it was in the good old amateur days. So it was good fun in those days. Don't think I'd swap playing, uh, from when I did to playing professional rugby. So mainly rugby, but then I taught a bit. So I qualified as a PE teacher taught in a comprehensive uh, sort of middle school and then an independent school. Um, and then uh, after that, I uh, lectured at um, the University of Wales in Cardiff, uh, working on the teaching, postgraduate teaching qualification and the coaching degree. Um, during all this time, I coached a bit. Uh, in fact, I've probably, because of being a PE teacher as well, coached every age group, uh, rugby that is really, um, and at every level up to actually becoming Welsh national coach in 1995 to 1998, where uh, I was um, in charge of Welsh national team. Um, after that, I did a bit of coach development. I got actually employed by the English Rugby Union, a Welshman working for the English Rugby Union. And I was employed as the head of elite coach development. And I did that for 14 and a half, nearly 15 years until I retired in 2016. Uh, the purpose was to stimulate the ongoing learning and support the development of coaches 
in the professional game of rugby in England at that time. Um, since retiring, I probably haven't stopped. You, you can't stop doing coach development, mentoring, uh, uh, being a, a supporting and challenging coaches that so many I've worked with in the Premiership in England rugby in Wales. So I still do some now part-time coach development back at the RFU and uh, with Welsh Rugby Union back home, which is great. A little bit on the ECAS football program and also on the EHOC program as well. I do some coach, I'm a, a coaching mentor on that. Um, learned a lot and realized how much more there is to learn. So uh, I'm happy to share any learning and experiences. I'm not saying my way is the right way, the wrong way, the only way. I'm just happy to share it as it works for me or it's what I believe in. I guess, obviously, as we said there, you kind of met Nathan on, on the ECAS and I know you've come through and deal with a lot of people on that. Um, and as you mentioned there, your knowledge is pretty extensive and experience is pretty extensive. I guess the question for you to start off with is when you meet a coach or a mentee or whatever you want to call them on day one, what do you look for? What's that opening conversation? What are you trying to gain from that? I think you've got to build rapport. Uh, you've got to connect. You've got to build rapport. You have to build trust, actually. Um, I think trust is the key. I, see, I don't like the word mentor. A mentor to me uh, implies an adult to child relationship. It's almost somewhere who's got gray hair, lots of experience, been around the block, and is passing on his knowledge to someone else. I don't see it as passing on knowledge or filling a bucket full of knowledge. I, I see it as an adult-to-adult relationship um, that will support and challenge through being trusted, because my only agenda is to help the coach be the best he possibly can be. And if you've got that, I would call thinking partnership, thinking friend relationship. Then it becomes an adult-to-adult relationship. Lots of questions which I may offer. Sometimes I would say, would you like me to give my opinion? So I'll ask permission. Then I can give my opinion both barrels. But I've been given permission for it. But the idea is to make coaches think, help them think out loud, so that they come up with solutions to their problems because they are responsible and accountable for them, not me. But I need to help them um, uh, gain clarity and, and confidence that that's the best approach for them to solve a problem. So I, I quite like the term critical thinking friend, uh, critical thinking partner. And in that early relationship, it's building that rapport, that connection, uh, that trust with. And how would you look to do that? Uh, I'm interested in them as people, as well as coaches. Um, I want to know about their values, their influences, um, who's influenced them and why, uh, what they believe in, why they coach the way they do, why they coach, why they coach the way they do. I, I, I'm interested in them as people what their goals and aspirations might be. So I'm trying to connect that way. And then 
in terms of like people coaching the way they do or the reason why they coach are those are there common traits that kind of go along a lot of coaches or is it very individualized i think it is individualized i think there are some common factors and i think um you know i didn't achieve my my ambition of playing for wales but i coached wales you know when you you, you adapt your goals in life sometimes you redirect you persevere um uh, uh, and, and, and you, you you start to achieve something that you can be proud of. And actually, I suppose all my life I've been involved in as a coach, as a teacher, lecturer, a coach developer, it's involved in people development. It happens to be in sport, which is our passion, of course. So that helped. Um, but it's about, I suppose it's about people development. And if there is a common factor, there is such pleasure and satisfaction in helping people achieve their goals and ambitions. And then for you, obviously, you mentioned there you kind of ask questions to prod or pry or get them thinking. What type of questions might those be to get people kind of critically thinking on their own or thinking out loud so they can critically think? Um, gosh, I'm... Uh... I see too much questioning in coaches that is checking for understanding, which wants the answer to be, to repeat the word that's in my head. Um, Of course, we need to check for understanding. I'd like to see more thought-provoking questions, um, more follow-up questions. Tell me a little bit more about that. What did you notice there? Um, so I'm trying to, uh, I, I get, in my questioning of coaches, I'm probably trying to get them to reflect on, um, what and how, probably how and why they did things, uh, to reflect on it, what went well, what didn't go so well, in order to do it better next time, to constantly improve. So I think reflection on action only drives improved performance in the future to improve how we do things. Questioning is, is, a, is a key skill of a coach developer, a thinking partner, a, a mentor even. Um, and there's a lovely saying that uh, the game is the teacher, the pitch is the classroom, the answers are in the players, if we can draw it out of them. And the coach is a facilitator of learning rather than necessarily the uh, autocratic director of learning. So I, I do believe in that. And there's the skill of the coach in drawing out the answer from players. You know, are you a coach, for example, that uh, provides the solutions? Or are you a coach? that creates a problem and challenges your players, I don't care what age, to solve the problems. Because they'll come up with a creative solution at times. Now, sometimes it goes off the wall and we have to guide, redirect. Um, but I, I, I'm interested in coaches that really challenge players to think through questioning, through how they design practice to pose problems for players. 
I don't know if I've answered the question. Yeah, no, no, for sure. What what you're hinting to there as well is having a, a real level of self-awareness and kind of honesty as well. So how big a factor is that in, in a coach's journey and how important is that for a coach or equally for an athlete? And I turn it around and ask you, what's the key coaching quality or skill you think of a, and a really effective coach? <laughs> Probably that being able to reflect and be honest with yourself uh, in terms of why something's happened or why it's worked that way or why that practice didn't quite work or did I do the right thing there? And, and there are lots of courses with coaching competencies and all these things and capabilities. And I, my, my reflections really are around the term emotional intelligence, which is what you said earlier, self-awareness. Uh, it's it's awareness of your impact in the moment on a, a young player, a, a team, and so on. Uh, it's uh, self, I call it self-coaching. Uh, Goldman in his emotional intelligence book would talk about self-management. I call it self-coaching. Can you manage, coach yourself to control your emotions? I'm feeling angry. This practice isn't working. I'm showing too much anger. I've got to show calmness. I've got to change this. I've got to do this. So you get from self-management, you get an awareness of others in order to coach others or manage others. So the four qualities uh, which I think are essential in coaching are self-awareness, awareness of others. Are you coaching to the needs of your players? Self-management of what and how you coach and adapting that emotional ups and downs of winning and losing and your reaction in the moment and so on in order to manage and coach others effectively. Um, there's not much technical tactical in that, is there? No, but I, equally, I think we had this conversation before we came on and we said that um, something I'm noticing more is people are dealing more with the people or the player and the person before then trying to teach them the te technical and tactical side. And that's something you mentioned you thought was very important. Yeah, I, I think uh, technical knowledge isn't enough nowadays. And yes, you know, well-known players who go into coaching have up-to-date technical and tactical knowledge. The skill of the coach, the craft of the coach, is in how do you transfer, share, develop, learning, development, progression in players. So how you coach, how you design practice to develop the players of the future is is a, a, a real challenge, I, I, I think, to coach. I don't quite answer the question there. No, just in terms of the, the importance of getting to know the person and the player okay. and the athlete prior to trying to teach them the technical and tactical side. So, in, in that, uh, it's knowing the drivers, the motivators, the key to stimulating, engaging, inspiring uh, young players and, and actually caring about them. Knowing, find out a little bit more about them as people. So building rapport, as I said earlier, with, with a coach as a coach mentor. Building rapport with your 
with your players, I think, is essential. And and I would say um, teachers, um, children in schools respond to teachers who care, who care about young people, who care about the development of each individual, who care uh, about their subject, are passionate, enthusiastic about their subject. And equally, I think uh, players respond to coaches who care, care about them as players, care about their uh, aims, goals, aspirations, care about them as people, are passionate, enthusiastic, uh, um, are inspiring about the qualities, the fun, the enjoyment, the achievement in, in their game, you know. So um, you, you've got to build a connection, first of all. You've got to grab their attention before you can achieve anything. So I guess something that really interests me around this area, which you would have a lot more experience in than myself, obviously there'll be times you're working with coaches or that maybe don't hold the same values or don't technically or tactically go go about their business in a way that you necessarily would. How do you avoid kind of having conflict or having confirmation bias around that area? Yeah, look, I think uh, healthy disagreement is creative. It drives creativity. So I, I don't think, I don't believe in cloning coaches. I don't believe we should all coach the same way. I love the diversity, the uniqueness of a coach. Uh, I would, um, it, it, you know, it's not tick box coaching that qualifications and uh, coach awards may look at at times. Of course, coaching qualifications are important, but they're not the be-all and end-all. Doing it, reflecting on it, doing it better next time is a key skill. So that reflective uh, uh, practice is, is really important. And, and so, obviously, I know having kind of researched you a little bit and spoken to some other individuals, you've worked with some some very well-known and very successful coaches, two in particular, you've got um, Stuart Lancaster and, and, and Toby Booth. In terms of those coaches who are at the top level, is there anything that you think they're consistently very good at or something that you've noticed go, actually, the, the coaches who are very successful all share this common trait? I think there is a growth mindset. I think it's, um, is the phrase for it, but it's that hunger for learning, that continuous drive to, um, Im- improve, develop, um, not being satisfied with what and how we do things in one moment. It's continually striving to, to do it better and looking for new ways. So there's almost a constant renewal. And a hunger for learning, uh, with these, with these coaches. And, uh, Stuart Lancaster is a great example of that. Toby Booth is a great example of, of coaches who are continually, uh, hungry to develop, to learn, uh, and, and progress their coaching. Not satisfied with, um, with, uh, the sex and success that they've got. It's actually constantly um, striving for even more excellence, you know, higher standards, more effectiveness. Uh, and I, I think that is a reflect. Eddie Jones of England Rugby is uh, a great challenger of his coaches to be the best they can be. 
to do things differently, to keep pushing the boundaries, to get outside your comfort zone. Now, I also think coaches only give a certain amount of time for their own development. You know, the professional game lose on Saturday. You can't go to the conference on learning, you know, a CPD conference on Wednesday or whatever. Uh, but actually, you've got to put enough time to stimulate your ongoing learning. Uh, here's a lovely phrase uh, I came across the other day. Novice coaches go on courses. Intermediate coaches go on conferences. But high-performance ex- uh, expert coaches drink coffee. In other words, they take a bit of responsibility for their own learning. And if you can have a one-on-one chat with someone who you think would help you and develop your own coaching and help you be even better, and you can create that connection, and often my job in uh, coach development was signposting people to where they may meet someone, talk to someone, connect with someone, because uh, because. You learn more that way. You know, you, you learn more from that one-on-one conversation. And what you're doing is great because you're sharing our conversation with a lot more people. So hopefully it'll, you know, spread some messages and um, hopefully add to their learning. Most of what we say is confirmation of why you guys are good. You know, some of it you may dismiss and say wouldn't work for me. But hopefully there's a little bit of, uh, you know, golden nuggets of, which will make you a better coach and help you that you can add to your coaching army. Because I believe in share and grow. But I will qualify it that I'm not an academic. I'm not a theorist. I'm a practitioner. I like the theory behind good coaching practice. So I'd like to know a little bit about that. Um, but I believe in the practicality of coaching and applying that. That's what I believe. And I guess what you've mentioned there is quite interesting. It's practically, it can be difficult for those top level coaches to go and source additional CPD or additional understanding and whatnot. And you mentioned that you tried to signpost people. So if, if we took someone like, like Toby, for example, um, who's worked or seen the professional rugby for a number of years now, what type of areas would you try and signpost a coach? to what type of people would you try and signpost them to to go and gain that knowledge? Well, it depends on his needs. <laughs> you know, um, I, I know there's needs and wants, and we've got to balance that on someone's learning journey. This is someone, you know, at the top of the professional game. I think there it's let's think out loud. So I might say, Toby, what are, what are the issues that you're um, wrestling with at the moment? You know, what's your, the thinking in your head? Let's think out loud. Think out loud with me. And I might ask enough questions to get some clarity to get him to move and help solve the problem. Because often, um, at that level, we may be stuck with a problem and it's good to talk it over with someone. Non-judgmental, someone you trust. Um, as I said earlier, perhaps a thinking partner. Uh, someone who's in your network of support. May not be just one person. Yeah, I'm sure Toby got a number of people that he would go to um, to think out loud to create action movement when you're wrestling with something. And then, I guess, kind of linking into that, in terms of like coaching teams or having a group of coaches, do you think that that's important that you can 
have a close-knit group that are able to challenge and think out loud and express their feelings? Yeah, I think, look, Michael, one of our problems is we can't create longevity in a coaching group. Um, the changeover is so fast, so great, because of results, we know, we know that, um, that we can't create enough trust, enough connection, alignment, enough diversity to be able to have healthy disagreement, but all pull in the same direction for the same team goals. So uh, in rugby, one might say that Saracens, despite their financial mismanagement, have longevity as a coaching group, as a management team. Uh, Exeter in rugby is the same. Um, and that longevity uh, creates trust. Uh, they have Barneys in the coaching group. You know, they really disagree. and uh, uh, But they're all on uh, aligned in the same direction, fighting for the same goal for the team. And they trust each other enough to know that it's not personal when you disagree. It's just to be better. It's just to try. Now, um, did Ferguson create that uh, over a long period of time? Did Wenger create it? He certainly changed their assistant coaches every so often, which was a renewal, which helped him have longevity, perhaps, uh, which is a good way of doing it as well. Um, but I, I, I think, and unfortunately, we don't give coaches that length of time to build an effective coaching management team. Okay, so I guess I've got two questions around that. And the, the first one is, I think I recently heard a quote from Ernie Jones, who I think started a, a podcast as well, and he mentioned that if... Um, he, if he's in a coach's meeting and someone suggests an idea and everyone agrees with it, it's not a good idea, um, which is quite interesting. So I guess linking that to the next question is, how important do you think it is to have diversity in, in your coaching group? And, and what would that look like in an ideal coaching scenario, if you like? Yeah, I, I think it is important because it's not about all, or all yes men. I don't believe in that. I think we need um, support and challenge. So from a coach development point of view, it's about support and challenge. If we're going to have high challenge, we need high support or trust there as well. So we need, um, in order to drive creative thinking, we need to disagree, to clarify, to fine-tune, to know... However, we need to do it um, with respect. Um, we need to do it with the positive intention of making the boat go faster, making the team more effective, making the player the best he possibly can be. Uh, you know, is the is the intention. So let's make sure our intentions are always positive. That we are. Will this help us achieve our goal? But let's challenge thinking. Let's have a diverse group. We are different. We're different people. Some people are half empty. Some people are half full. So sometimes, have you come across Edward de Bono's thinking hats, colored hats? So uh, here's an idea. 
So let's put our yellow hat on. What's the best thing that could happen if we got this idea and put it into operation? So you know someone's got a black hat on. So the black hat, hang on, you've got to put your yellow hat on and you've got to only think of the positive. Because now we might put all, all put our black hat. What could go wrong if we try to impose this idea or this change? Um, let's put our green hat on. And, you know, what, how, what impact will that have on players about their development, about caring for them? or someone else. So uh, it's a good way of doing it, really, but I, I think we need to think diversely as well. Uh, but I would encourage that healthy disagreement. We often use conflict. Um, conflict is inevitable. But I like the term healthy disagreement drives creativity. So I'd encourage it. And I think what you mentioned there is having that common goal. Um, or common outcome that you want to achieve. How important is the setting of that goal or the alignment of, uh, in this case, for example, a rugby team to go, this is our ultimate goal and everything we're doing is pointing towards that. How important is that? Yeah, I, I think it is. So clarity of purpose. What is the purpose of this team, this club? What's your purpose as a coach? <coughs> Excuse me. Clarity of purpose. Uh, alignment to a beyond winning purpose. If a team says to me, we want to win the European Cup, no, let's get a beyond winning purpose where the byproduct of achieving a beyond winning purpose uh, uh, might mean winning trophies and things like that. You know? So I think clarity of purpose, uh, there are lots of uh, high-performing teams, characteristics, models. Uh, one I like is from the Wisdom of Teams, I think it is. Uh, it's about purpose at the top of the pyramid. People in the roles and responsibilities with the skills and qualities and the drive to achieve this common purpose. Underneath the people, the processes of how we organize communicate, plan, uh, deliver our coaching, uh, deliver our roles, those people deliver the roles, what are the processes in place that we apply to allow those people to achieve the purpose? All underpinned by how we do each other, how we treat each other and how we do things around here, culture, environment. So how would you describe the culturing environment, which is the foundation to employ our processes so that the people can fulfill their roles to achieve the purpose? Yeah. I, so think, purpose yeah. I think that a, a common thing that you, you see in successful teams or quite a lot in unsuccessful teams is the culture's right or the culture's wrong. In terms of trying to create a culture, be it, from coach perspective, or a playing perspective, how can you go out, go about making sure that kind of the culture is in the right place to be productive? Well, what is culture? So once we, and to me, it's simple. This is how we do things around here. This is how we treat people around here, and it's usually based on some core values. We treat everyone with respect. 
uh, we show consideration for others at all times. Whether it's uh, a waiter in the restaurant, or the referee, or the coach, or or the opposition, or, or what have you. Um, I, I think culture precedes performance is the same. The environment that you create is vital. One way of doing it, I think, is, and, and I think we should involve the players a little bit in this, you know. So, how would someone describe your team at the moment? And you'll come up with some words, probably. How would you like to be described? And you come up with some four or five words of how you want to be perceived, the type of team that you want to be. And then, once you've got those words from the group, give them training, give them practice, give them games, and reflect and review against those words. Because unless they display behavior, which will make them described as the type of team that you want to be described as, actually, the type of team which reflects the culture of how we do things, you've got to reflect and review it all the time. I see too many teams that do this at the start of the season and then don't mention the words. Stick them on the wall, and you know you spend hours with your wife choosing that wallpaper. As soon as you put it up, you don't notice it. So when you put those words on the wall, you don't notice them. Look pretty. They are behaviors. So culture is a reflection of how we behave around here. And it is vital, I think, to have some clarity, consistency, celebrate it when you see it, praise it as often as you can when you see your players, your teams reflect those qualities. Challenge people when you don't see it, uh, which is uncomfortable. And once you get an environment where the players start doing that themselves, even better than just the coach doing it. So obviously you've mentioned quite a lot before about the motivators for players or taking egos out or motivators for coaches and whatnot. That obviously underpins being able to challenge an individual understanding what their motivation is. But how might you go about that? So say, for example, you've got a player who's consistently late for team meetings, which is quite a common one that I'd imagine happens up and down the countries. How might you go about in a constructive way challenging that behaviour so that the group and individuals understand that that's important to our culture? Um, I think a, a coaching technique is reward and consequence. We reward the behavior we want. And the consequence of not showing that is often in selection. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, that's a consequence. I, I don't necessarily mean punishment here. Right? Um, it's not like a respect if someone is turning up late. It's a lack of respect to your fellow players who've been there 10 minutes early. So if respect is a core value, we've got to show that. And that may be reflected in turning up five minutes early. Now, sometimes problems occur. You know, I'm late. Why are you late, fine, punished, whatever it is? I was actually in a car crash. And my wife was taken to the hospital or whatever. 
So there is, you know, there's a time to be black and white, but there's also a reason. Yeah. Sometimes. So, uh, but I would reward and recognize all those for coming early. So the guy who's coming late, perhaps the best thing to do is say to everyone else, well done. Fantastic for getting here, uh, getting here on time. How am I feeling when I come in late? Left out. Well done, darling Fred, whoever. You were here 20 minutes early, actually. What are you doing there? Oh, we're chatting about this and the other. Fantastic. Well done. You know, you're making the point in a subtle way. It may be an embarrassing way as well, but there is a reward and consequence. Uh, and sometimes individually you might have to then go to the individual and say, look, this showed a lack of respect. And your challenge is to be here five minutes before everybody else. I'm going to challenge you, see if you can meet the challenge. I, I, I don't know. It's uh, You've got to know. It depends on the person yeah. and so on. No, I like the idea of the challenge thing and saying I challenge you to do it, to see generally, particularly in performance sport, people like the challenge. That's why they're in it. So if you, you almost use it in that and they're competitive flow, uh, juices flowing. Yeah, in coaching process, I talk about reward and consequence, you know, as a coaching process. Uh, I love challenges, set challenges. Often, um, I might set a coach a coach challenge. Um, you can't talk first in the huddle. You can only coach through question. You have to um, give 10 players positive feedback on what they did well only no negative feedback now i'm not saying doing it all the time but there's a great coaching challenges aren't there no they're good they're, they're, to be fair those ones i use as well so i might steal those <laughs> what so obviously i think for coaches particularly maybe with the younger younger players your foundation phase and youth phase it's easy to get into a comfortable thing where you do talk first and you talk to them and don't involve them in, in that environment so kind of looking at that almost a challenge to be uncomfortable as a coach how important is that for development of a coach to be in for, for, as a personal development to be in uncomfortable and in a situation you're not used to or maybe you don't like yeah and uh I suppose we're all comfortable in the comfortable within our comfort zone, you know. Uh, one of my, one of the coaches I worked with once drew a diagram of a ring of fire. And that was his zone of comfort. And you sometimes you got to step through the fire to extend your, your zone. So it's, it's quite uncomfortable <laughs> to step through the ring of fire to stretch your, your comfort zone, to stretch yourself, you know. Um, and it takes a bit of courage to do that, but I would, uh, I think we need to be com more comfortable in the uncomfortable is the phrase, I suppose. Um, no, it's, um, what do they call it? The, the bucker world, the volatile, um, uh, uncertain, um, chaotic, ambiguous world, uh, of professional sport of life, of business. It is chaotic. It is uh, ambiguous. It is uncertain, volatile. So let's deal with it in the moment, you know. Sometimes uh, we've got to laugh in the face of adversity 
go back to process and then say, right, here we go, fellas, let's have a go at this. Um, I, I'm reminded, I don't know why, I'm reminded of Steve Peters, the British cyclist um, psychologist, who talks about three rules of life. And the first rule of life is life's not fair. Correct. Get on with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Second rule of life, the goalposts always change. Correct. Get on with it. And the third rule of life, I think he says, is there's no guarantees. Yeah, but you said you'd give me this contract. There's no guarantees. Get on with it. And once we recognize that, um, you know, life is tough at times. It's not fair. There's no guarantees. The goalposts keep changing, but we keep plugging away. We persevere. We work hard. We get there in the end. It's um, never true a word spoken as well, <laughs> particularly with times at the moment where the goal co- goalposts do keep changing and no one knows where they're coming or, coming or going. Um, yeah. I, I guess something that I'm interested in uh, discussing with you is the differences between performance level coaching um, and kind of at the top end to development level coaching and how coaches need to change their kind of their, the way that they act and the way they are in b- between those two pathway, pathways. You just talk a little bit around that because obviously there's different pressures and different triggers and all that type of stuff, but it's quite different in the way that coaches Yeah, it is, isn't it? You know, the performance coach, you know, that premier manager who's under massive pressure where managerial changes, oh, what's the life expectancy of a premiership manager? About 11 months, is it? Something something like that, yeah. You know, if that. And we're going like that in rugby as well. You know, it's a bit longer, but uh, it's still the pressure of results. And therefore... Um, coaching is about development, but you've got to win in the short term to get to the long-term development, don't you? Um, so I, we understand that players at that end will have to adapt to the game plan, the philosophy of the manager, because his neck's on the block almost. Uh, so it is a results. I suppose even lower down in development coaches, I would expect every team coach, I'd expect the team to go out and try and win the game. That's the purpose of it. That's why we keep the score. But actually, it's not the be-all and end-all at that level. It's about the development of the player. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. It's about the progression, the development of the player. Because we're not saying that every time we go on the pitch, we go out to try and win the game. But it's not the win at all costs. We may, for our development, we're, we may play, um, I don't know, four four two only for this game. Against this team, we could adapt it to three five two one or whatever it is. But actually, we've got to see if you can solve problems and, and, and do it this way. Now, it might result in a loss of the game, but the learning that might come from it in terms of tactical uh, shape, uh, setup, appreciation might be a good way of doing it. I don't know. It's probably a silly example from a, well, from, from a rugby man. It is a silly <laughs> example. But, uh, um, 
you know, the, the key measure is the development of a player of the future. Well, when he gets to the first team, if he gets to the first team, there'll be a different manager there anyway, and he'll have to play a different way to how the first team are playing now. So I don't think the under-15, 16 team should play like the first team. I think there should be general principles that emanate throughout the club. But tactically, uh, I, I don't... Uh, we want to play develop players of the future. Uh, a few years ago, our National Academy rugby coaches, we got together and said, what does a player of the future look like? And faster, uh, technically, tactically aware, you know, um, physically strong. All of those are almost a given. And what we came up with was we actually wanted players of the future, world-class players, to be responsible, self-aware, self-organized, adaptable decision-makers. Because with technical, physical skill, with that, they would make such good decisions on the pitch and be able to execute them. Uh, they would be terrific players. They would be players in the future. So how do you coach responsibility? How do you raise awareness? How do you allow players to lead themselves, self-organize, organize themselves on the pitch, make decisions on the pitch? Because you've only got half time or before the game to influence that as a coach. You know? How do we uh, coach players to be adaptable and creative in solving problems on the pitch and not having to wait for the coach until half-time? Because if we can, they'd be terrific players there and then, wouldn't they? How do we develop decision-making and decision-makers rather than rehearse the decisions I want as a coach? Now, of course, we need to be coach-led at, at, at some times. What, what I'm interested in is if we are going to develop players who are top-class, responsible, self-aware, self-organized, adaptable decision-makers, then as coaches, we have to give responsibility. So note the verbs here, to give. How do you coach to give responsibility to players? How do you uh, raise self-awareness of a player's strengths or work-ons? How do you raise their awareness and understanding in their teammates of their strengths and work-ons and the team strengths? So raising awareness. What do you do as a coach to raise awareness in players? Feedback, video feedback, going through a game, sort of things like this, you know? Um, We've got to allow players to self-organize, to organize um, into teams, into practices, into grids or what have you, not doing it for them all the time. We've got to allow them to organize themselves in how they prepare. Of course, we guide them, but prepare for performance. We've got to allow them to lead, lead themselves, lead others, tune in others to what's needed at any moment in time. Um, we've got to challenge players 
So what is that challenge? We talked about challenge earlier, you know, challenging coaches. But what would we do which would challenge players to be creative in solving problems in this practice? And sometimes they'll get it wrong and make mistakes. But then come up with some creative solutions as well, perhaps. Well, how do we develop decision makers and decision making if we tell them what we want all the time? If we make decisions for them? Don't think, just do as you're told. I used to coach like that. <laughs> Actually, we want thinking players because they're dangerous. They really, you know, think and solve, solve problems and create problems from the opposition. Uh, and I think we do that as coaches. And again, the verb would be to manage the pressure of practice. The, the verbs of raising um, awareness, giving responsibility, allowing them to self-organize and lead, uh, develop their decision, challenge their adaptability and creativity by managing, manipulating, designing practice to allow those skills thinking skills, uh, psychological skills, alongside the technical. Is there a coach you've worked with either through questioning or through practice design who's been exceptional in that area? Um, as, as an approach, uh, I mentioned uh, Rusty and Fletch. Uh, John Fletcher was in charge of England under 18 uh, for almost 10 years, I think. Uh, Russell Enshaw had coached England sevens with Ben Ryan. Uh, he had coached England under 18 as an assistant coach, uh, an inspirational coach. They, uh, and they had another guy, Pete Walton. So they were working in the pathway, the England pathway, England rugby pathway. And they were, uh, really down the line in, in this approach. Don't get me wrong, I still think we need some technique practice, some breakout to practice technique, especially the higher up the performance ladder we go. Um, but it's technique, not skill. Skill involves decision making and execution. And we have to coach them both together, connect them. I think the theme is Perception, action, coupling. What do I, what's my decision? What's my judgment? What action do I need and can I execute it? But too much practice is done in isolation. We need to connect both of those. So England under 18s a few years ago when they were in charge, uh, were making good strides in, in that. Uh, they now run uh, they do some coach development with rugby, hockey, a whole host of sports, and have this, uh, they call it the Magic Academy, which uh, they run some terrific podcasts as well and, uh, and interviews. So worth your guys having a, a listening with them. And then I guess, is there a way that you would challenge coaches? So as a uh, you know a critical thinker you you'll stand pitch side or you'll go through a session plan or session design is there a way that you would challenge coaches to improve in this area yeah and, and i think i would hopefully um through observation and then uh or, you know over coffee after the session and get the coach to reflect 
on my usual question is what's the purpose? What was the purpose of the session? What was the purpose of that practice, that game, that drill? Did you achieve the purpose? What went well? What didn't go well? What would you do differently if you could do it again? I noticed that that one player uh, wasn't as engaged as the others. Did you notice that? Did you engage it? it it's th that it's that conversation together rather than um, Fox this and you did this or, or, or what have you. And I have done no, go on, carry on. No, we've done that in coaching qualifications in the past, but I think it's a, a reflective conversation. Yeah. With the purpose to help him be even better next time. I would highlight strengths. Uh, Nathan engages with the players really well. You know, uh, I remember seeing him really connecting with the players really, really well. So let's celebrate their strengths um, and let's try and highlight some areas of, to improve as well. But it, it would come through a reflective conversation. And then in terms of, um, sorry, I forgot what I was going to ask then. <laughs> oh, that was it. Um, when, obviously, they're, they're going to get limited time with you being uh, pitch side or working with them what type of things would you suggest a coach could do by themselves to aid in that self-reflection process or that critical thinking process yeah I, I you know often after sessions the coaches there's a physio that's like sometimes it may have been a player in the past there's there's an S&C coach there you know and it's uh, and I've seen that with um uh, on the ECAS program when I watch coaches uh, I think it's worth sitting down for 5 or 10 minutes at the end of a session we often review in relation to what the players did rather than which is good which is important you know they, they got this or he's doing well or he wasn't or um, so we review with regard to what the players did in the session I'd like us to review for five or ten minutes at the end to say, how did we coach? Did we achieve our purpose? What did you think watching from the touchline? Was it, did it create the energy that we wanted? The focus, did we get the engagement from the players? Uh, do you think uh, 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 the game was too many players, too, too little players, too, pitch was too wide, too big? Whatever. Was it too hard? Did I, do you think I could have... If we did it next time, what would we do? But I think that's a reflective conversation together. Yeah. And actually, it should make people like me redundant because that should be a process that coaches should continually do. But we often do it from the player's perspective of what they did, not what we did. Yeah. And often, uh, yeah, the players didn't get uh, what I was trying to get across. Well, how did you coach them not to get it? It seems a dark question, yeah. but that you know, you, you, your impact made them not get the practice. What would you do differently to help them understand uh, 
uh, and and uh, be more effective. Taking a level a level of accountability regarding that as well, and saying it's not their fault they're not getting it. There's something that look at yourself. I need to work on to help them understand it better next time. So red arrows debrief every practice, and red leader debriefs himself first. So the leader of the red arrows leads the debrief, and he reflects on his performance, first of all, identifies what he did well and what he didn't do well. So you look at yourself first as a company. And I guess this links a little bit back to what you were saying earlier around the, the senior players in a squad or the senior people in a squad can play quite an impactful role and how that filters down to everyone else. Um, if you've got the most senior person being quite open and honest by saying, yeah, I made a mistake by doing this or I need to improve on this area, your 18-year-old who's just coming into the squad is probably going to then be more self-aware and more self-reflecting as well. Um, yeah, I, I, I think one of, one of, I hear a lot, particularly in rugby, I don't know if it's the same in football, about there's no leaders, there's no leaders in our team because we don't allow them to organize and lead, self-organize and lead themselves. You've got to lead yourself, first of all, in order to lead others. So you've got to lead yourself with the right values, with the right behaviors, with good behaviors, uh, in order to influence others, role model them, for example. So I think nowadays the way academies are, rugby, football, cricket, we have to put more deliberate attention on developing leadership capacity, leadership skill. And I think uh, everybody has leadership capacity. Some people start at a higher level because of life experiences, upbringing, influences, whatever it is. But everybody can improve their leadership if it is a skill. We just start at different places sometimes. Um, so identifying leadership capacity, develop, putting deliberate attention on developing it in our coaching environment as well, which is about allowing self-organization, um, in order that they take responsibility and start to say the things that the coach might say. So often I might say to the coach, just run around in the practice and listen. Listen to what the players are saying in between the play, in the downtime, when they're off the ball. What are they saying to each other? And if they're saying something a coach would have said, because we all verbalize the game in our head, don't we, when yeah. watching it? Uh, if a player would say something that you would say as a coach, just praise it. You don't have to say it. Just say, well done. Now you're leading. Now you're making good decisions. Now we're communicating. And because that's what we have, because we can't do that when the match is starting, can we? Because we're up in the stands. You know? And we want them to be almost verbalizing what you're thinking in your head. So it almost comes down to that that positive reinforcement you mentioned earlier, being positive with them on an action that you want to see. So if you see someone, you know, 
organizing your scrum or organizing the back line to make sure you're not overloaded you praise that so that then Timmy who heard you praise it might do it the next time exactly uh, often like, uh, we're often motivation is towards achieving something right? I want to be praised by the coach is a towards motivation it's, it drives behavior actually I don't want to be berated by the coach is equally a motivator, isn't it? It's an away from motivation. Uh, so fear of not getting selected might be a great motivator, for example. Um, uh, a drive to get selected is a great motivator, because I'll do the over and above. Both are equally effective as motivators. What's more positive and longer lasting is the towards positive motivation, I think. But I'm not a psychologist. <laughs> no, I, I was about to say, is there research to, to back that? Because in my personal experiences, I agree with you. I think that people prefer positive people um, and positive coaches. Invariably, you look at someone, I'm a Tottenham fan, so I'm happy to think Mourinho, for example in generally is about three years at a club and then goes because I think where he can be negative at points players tend to get a bit tired of it um, I just wanted to know if there's any research that points towards that people prefer yeah, I, I think fear you know will get perhaps shorter term gains you know fear of getting it wrong fear of not selected fear of whatever well trust in the process trust uh, and a towards motivation is probably longer term success. Um, I think, and I don't know, do I? And you would know, Alex Ferguson, the hairdryer, perception, he cared for his players. They trusted him to help them be the best they could be, I think, as players. I know David Beckham was scared stiff of him. But he also regarded him as a surrogate sort of parent. You know? um, uh, I think it's an interesting uh, approach, really. Yeah. And then kind of rewinding a little bit, you've mentioned before that you've been quite fortunate to be able to work across a wide breadth of um, sports and work with coaches from different sports. What surprised you or what did you learn kind of moving from a more traditional rugby focus looking into your footballs your hockeys your crickets all that type of stuff I, I think skills are transferable Michael I, I think the skills of coaching are transferable of course you get a certain amount of credibility through your technical tactical knowledge you know you've got to have a certain amount of knowledge um, uh, but the transferable skills, how you communicate, how you build rapport, what's your emotional intelligence like in in uh, your awareness and your awareness of others in your coaching context, what's needed, how you manage others, which may need a kick up the backside or an arm around the shoulder, and differentiating that. So the skills are coaching process, coaching practice of, of facilitating the learning and development of others are transferable, I would say. 
It's uh, and sometimes it's great that you don't have much technical or tactical knowledge on a sport because you can ask the daftest but most obvious question, which really makes the player think, uh, the coach think, uh, because we assume too much often. So, um, I, I, Nigel Redman uh, was a coach within the England pathway, and then he came out of coaching and became me um, in coach development in England rugby. Um, he, he went out to become a, a premiership coach. Um, results didn't go the right way. Another coach came in, changed the coaching team. Then he became a head of elite coach development in swimming. This is an ex-Bath, England, British Lion uh, rugby player, terrific coach developer. Oh, I don't think he can swim. I don't know if he can swim or not. But he stimulated challenging swimming, you know, Olympic swimming coaches to be the best they can be. And it's not through technical swimming knowledge, is it? It's, it's uh, those transferable skills about about helping people be the best version of themselves. So it's people development as much as it is coach development. And obviously you've learned that in terms of skills that are transferable from role to role. Looking back to your time, this is a while ago now with Wales and whatnot, and obviously it would have been a very, very proud time for you. Is there anything you wish you knew knew then that you'd learn now from those types of sports? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm probably not as specific as that, but I, I, you know, you've, I've been asked the question, you know, what you know now that you would like to have known then. And, and I suppose it, it comes back to people development, you know. I, I wish I had coached the person first before the player in those days. You know, it became player-focused. Um, rather than people focus. So coach the person first and the player will flourish. Got to have all of those technical, physical skills as well. And, and that would be, so your point about knowing the player, differentiation between different players. What, what's the key to them? Uh, adapting to one player differently to the, the next. Um, I, I think is is an interesting learning for me looking back. I also reflect that in those early days, I created, I think, so much energy and passion and enthusiasm in my coaching that I think it waned whether it was the need for more results. So certainly Wales under 21, it was so enjoyable with young men. They weren't kids. They were young men with a future straight in front of them still, playing for Wales under 21, um, really emanating energy, enthusiasm, passion for the game. Uh, and it, it, I think it's sort of whether the media and, and social media nowadays is even far worse than that, you know. Uh, but every decision is scrutinized. Every member of the Welsh public is a Welsh selector, remember, <laughs> Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah. Probably wears you, 
it wears at your energy and your enthusiasm. So coaching is about giving energy. I think coaching is about giving energy. And actually, the duration of the football season at that top end, the rugby, it's relentless, the number of games. Yeah, who's looking after the health and welfare of coaches as well? Because to give so much is uh, can be draining. Can be draining. I guess that that a little bit links back to needing a, a strong team around you and being there for a period of time. So you can at times take that step back and knowing that your coaching team is still going to carry on your message and philosophies and stuff because you can't see everything all the time and you can't be there all the time. Yeah, and, and you know, I don't think anybody's indis- indispensable. We like to think we are sometimes. And uh, uh, I think we all live lives of quiet desperation. So we need people around us. We need support. Uh, people need some kind of recognition, reward. Do we say well done enough to people? Do we praise uh, 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 you know, there's a challenge next time you go into the academy say well done to 10 different people because we, we all want to be recognized for, for doing a good job it's not necessarily more money we'd all love more money <laughs> but sometimes reward and recognition by saying oh, well done, that was a good job is satisfying enough, you know, but we don't say it enough. Huh? Yeah. S- simple but effective. The other thing I'd say is, on the other side of that, when someone says, uh, can you help me? People respond. They step up. So it's not a sign of weakness to say, can you help me? showing vulnerability and saying, please, can you help me with this? People will step up. It's amazing. Um, so sometimes you're going to say, and, and that's that more collaborative, uh, co-coaching, integrated coaching, interdisciplinary, whatever they call it nowadays. I think old coaching is in silos particularly in, in my game, uh, line-out coach, scrum coach, box coach, defense coach, kicking coach, throwing coach. Boom, boom, boom. It's quite a skill to pull all of that together if we're delivering in silos. New coaching is coaching both sides of the ball at the same time. Now, your game is such a transition game, you've got to coach transition because it happens so quickly, doesn't it? Yeah, and so often, yeah. You know? So... While you may have specialist goalkeeper, um, I, I, I'm not sure about other specialists. You know, I'm working with someone who wants to be a specialist striker coach, but it's integrated as a part of the team. So uh, that's not just working one-on-one. How do you integrate it to the part of the team? So co-coaching and integrated coaching and how we plan and design that to utilize all the coaching resource in one practice rather than what I see a lot, one coach leading the practice, two other coaches, three coaches on the side, 
arms folded, shaking their head. Wouldn't do it that way. You know, whispering, what have you. Get on the pitch. You look at the defense and just nudge and prompt. You look at the attack. Let me organize uh, 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 the intention of the practice, the the intensity of the practice. But let's co-coach. But it needs planning. It needs collaboration. Uh, it needs uh, uh, complementary skills uh, to utilize all of that. I know um, at the FA now with the England younger teams, they're starting to go in possession and out of possession coaches. Yes. Um, and it's, it's, I was fortunate enough to watch a couple of their sessions and see the way that they work. And that's something for me really interesting, the way that that dynamic, and you can see the guy who's leading it, if it's an in-possession session, he designs and works through the entire session. But then you've got the out-of-possession coach who's on the pitch working with players and setting up or questioning people or making them think whilst it's all going on. And the one thing it probably highlighted for me is the rapport that they had, because it's quite important if the if the guy who's leading it that day is talking, he's got to be okay with the other guy going and getting in someone else's ear. Whereas if you had a fractious relationship, you would constantly be being annoyed by that other person being around. I think that collaboration is crucial. It takes a bit of time to get that level of understanding of how to interact with each other. Yeah. And also we're going to talk about it. You might say, look, if I'm leading the session, I don't want you to stop it. Let me run the tempo of the session. If you want to say anything, uh, I'll either ask you at the end or, you know, just do a, a, a hot feedback to the player on the run or whisper in my ear or what have you. But let me, it, it could be that. Or I might say, we know each other so well. If you want to stop the session any time, you do it. But the intent of the session is 20 minutes of this intensity. Boom, boom, boom. So within the purpose, we were all working. So you've got to understand each other. And it takes a little bit of time to get that level of understanding and uh, to complement each other. You're absolutely right. Uh, I don't think it will go to the extent of um, American sports with the obviously American football teams. They have like 100 staff on the touchline and whatnot. But I think that it will go more down that route from my perspective of having specialists purely because I think that the level of detail you can go into players with will be will be better rather than having the situation you said where one guy's trying to talk to all of them whilst the other three are on the touchline talking about what they're having for dinner. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I'm always fascinated by the level of detail. You know, coach the detail. Um, modern coaches can coach fine detail. In the scrum, if you move your foot two inches there or your shoulder two inches there, that fine detail, you have this effect. And and we need that at times. I'm interested in coaching the principles of play. Coach, go forward. First principle of play in rugby is go forward. How do you coach go forward? Well, you can run with the ball, you can pass it 20 yards back to the wing to go forward out there. You can push them forward in the scrum. There's different ways. Now, what's the problem that we are facing? How are we going to go for? Coach go forward, coach support, coach continuity, coach creating pressure and momentum. 
those are big picture principles that needs all the detail and falls out of it. I don't think we so good at coaching the big picture principles, to be honest. Need the ability to zoom out. And I know, I know football essentially is trying to create space and then exploit space. Yeah. It all, all boils down yeah. that. If you've got the ball, so create the space. Where's the space? I, where's the space? You go on the ball, you got your head down, where's the space? Yeah. Uh, so the where's the space question in the moment, what's it doing? It's prompting the, it's not telling him where the space is, making decisions for him. It's getting his head up. He's looking. It's what is he seeing? Now, okay, you stop, freeze. You looked up. What, you, you played into that space. What prompted you? What did you see? What was the cue? To say play to that space. He'll tell you what he says. Was there any other space? Oh yeah. Was it, which is the best option? Oh that could have been, or that could have been. Play. Yeah, you know, you're exploring it? Yeah. Rather than telling it. Sorry, I'm getting No, 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 for sure. It's really <laughs> good. It's really good. Um, simple but effective particularly with the younger ones you're not giving them answers you're saying to them where is this or what can you see is another another good one to get them to check what's around them what can you see I remember watching um, uh, a Mikas coach trying to uh, he was coaching the technique um, something turn give me a stop turn hook turn stop turn a, a stop turn or something like that. And it was all done in isolation. So it was a technical aspect to it, I know. And I just said, well, what does the stop turn uh, solve? Uh, well, what problem does the stop turn solve? Because is there any other way of solving a problem in, in a, with a different technique? Let's explore it. So set up the problem and the stop turn affords them that solution to that problem. But we're connecting the decision and the problem with the technique then, rather than in isolation. So what affordance is, what does that technique afford you in the game? What opportunity does it allow you? Well, it allows me to stop and turn boom, like this when I'm in this situation. Show me a different way of, a different turn in that situation. Now they're exploring it. Now we're getting creative. Everybody have a go at this one, because it's a good one. Stop turn. But, <laughs> but uh, I think it's, it's what does the technique, uh, what is the problem that it helps you solve, would be my thinking. Listen, I'm going to ask you last question. It's something that I've asked everyone. Um, so it's who's the the best player you've played with or against or coach you've coached with or against or been a critical partner with and why? Uh, um, um, my critical thinking friend died recently. Apologies. So Sorry to it's not a player. It's not a, a coach. Uh, his name was Keith Lyons. Uh, he, uh, uh, I played with him in 1977 when I came out of college, so I played with him a couple of times. Um, 
he was a PE teacher, a lecturer. Uh, he wrote the first book on video analysis in 1985. He created the Center for, for Performance Analysis at Cardiff University. He became the analyst to the Welsh Reunion and worked to help me uh, all my coaching life, really. Um, he uh, got headhunted by the Australian Institute of Sport to be the founding um, uh, founder of the performance analysis of all sports out there. He became professor of um, sport at Canberra University. And um, so his study was into player, teacher, and coach behavior. So we want a person to be a, a coach, mentor, a, a critical thinking friend for me. And he had a critical friend approach. In other words, it would be critical in that you could hold the mirror up and say, you thought you might have been doing that. This is what I noticed. You know, which is, but he went along the learning journey with you, most positive, supportive, caring, um, mental thinking partner uh, you could ever wish for. So, a few, when I was working at the RFU, we employed this Jack Keith Lyons from Australia to work with 10 rugby coaches. And we did a joint project project with cricket. So we worked with 10 cricket coaches as well. And he worked with Andy Flower, um, Peter Moores, Paul Farbrace in cricket, that level, Stuart Lancaster, Toby Booth, um, and, and rugby coaches. The top, top coaches about, about... About helping them get better. And... Uh, his knowledge, I, I took him to an England rugby training. I introduced him to the head coach. He talked about head coaching. I uh, introduced him to an assistant coach. He talked about the role of the assistant coach in defense or whatever. I uh, introduced him to the strength and conditioning coach. He talked about strength and conditioning at a level, which was way above my head. I introduced him to the team doctor. He talked about medicine and the application of sports medicine to rugby environment at a level with a doctor, uh, this guy I think could have coached himself on his own all aspects of performance, you know. Mm. Uh, and he was uh, a terrific influence on many, many uh, high level coaches and the most modest, unassuming, uh, kind of supportive thinking partner anyone could have met. So I know I have to answer your question, but... <laughs> no, that's perfect. That's as good an answer as we've had on here. So, listen, Kevin, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for giving up your uh, Thursday afternoon to do this. And um, a brilliant conversation and one hopefully we'll be able to do again at some point. Well, I've got my contact details. I'm, uh, I'm supposed to be retired or I'm as busy as I know, but, you know, if people want to get in touch or what have you, I'm... Uh, I'm very happy to uh, share any support or uh, help in any way I can. Perfect. Really appreciate your time. Keep up the good work.
Brilliant. Thank you. Cheers, Kevin. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.